I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... mm, real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. You're listening to the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. Okay, James, we are back uh, with another edition of the podcast. Uh, people in Toronto are kind of losing their mind a little bit. Uh, it's, we're recording this on a Wednesday, and I can tell you uh, at practice, um, some of the media questioning was as positive as it's been in, in some time. People were asking Mike Babcock about succeeding as the Leafs coach whereas past coaches had failed. Uh, Mind you, it's been 19 games, and apparently we've already come to that declaration. Um, What do you make of this right now? Because it seems like they had played actually better in the first month and weren't getting the results, and now their special teams, their their goaltending has been really good. It's all kind of swung in the other direction. What do you think? 5-2-2. Yeah. playoffs they're going to the playoffs they got it all figured out yeah i mean you know october they only got the one win and there were people saying this is the worst team ever and i can't you know i can't believe how little talent is on this team and everything that you know all of the the underlying numbers were saying they're not doing that bad i mean their possession wasn't bad their special teams looked like they had done some things just watching the team you could see that how much different they looked under babcock and 
you know, it, it's funny covering hockey, I find it. I don't know if it's like this as bad for in the other sports, but, like, I feel like you're constantly saying, even if, if they lose four games, you're constantly saying, well, it's okay because, you know, the, the, these things went well. Or if they win four <laughs> games, you're saying, well, the, you know, the, the, there's some concerns here because it the scoreboard for whatever reason in, in the NHL does not always reflect what happened on the ice. It just, it really doesn't. And I don't know if that's just goaltending or what it is, but, you know, you can make the argument that the Leafs did some things better in October than they've done in November. And their record was way worse in October than it is in November. And there's been some backsliding and the, the, the constant where they've been good all year has been on special teams, power play, uh, penalty kill. The underlying numbers there have been very, very, very impressive. Like some of the best in the league on both, especially the power play. They've been generating a lot of chances. They've been putting a lot of pucks towards the net. Uh, they've rarely been uh, coughing the puck up and having to go chase it back into their own end. I mean, if you think of the way that their power play has functioned, they've been very, very, very good at getting on rebounds and, and getting the puck back after they take a, a shot or a shot attempt. And uh, that that bodes well. And I think that the game against Colorado, they scored the four power play goals. That was long overdue. And I, I think that the the systems that they're using here, uh, if 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 this just isn't a blip, and it's been almost twenty games, so I don't think it is. I mean, the Leafs could have some of the best special teams in the league this year, and and that's pretty big because that's that's about twenty five percent of the game. So you know, it could be one way for them to not have a lot of talent, but use their systems to uh, to beat teams. Well, and obviously Jim Hiller is running their power play. Uh, Detroit had the second-best power play in the league last year. Uh, you and I were talking about this uh, in the press box after the game on Tuesday night, just about what, what Joffrey Lupul had told me in late October when they weren't scoring any power play goals, but they felt like they were getting a lot of opportunities. To your point, they were trying to attack the net, attack the net. And, and obviously their power play you know, looks a lot different than it did with Phil Kessel. Uh, you know, things kind of ran through him before. But I want to get back to something you mentioned. Um, as far as, you know, when you pick apart wins, you pick apart losses, I think what, what media, fans, teams, players, I think what people have a hard time with is the concept of luck in hockey. Uh, and, that, like, and, and I think Nazem Kadri is a really good example of this. He's just been unlucky, you know, and, and you can spin it any way you want. And, and people will say, well, he's got to produce, he's got to produce. You can't really control to most like most of the time, you can't really control if a shot's going to go in or if it's going to get stopped or if it's going to go wide. Like there is a, a real degree of luck uh, that I feel like people have trouble accepting sometimes. And I think that's their season so far is kind of indicative of that to me. What do you think? Yeah, and it seems like we're seeing the same thing every year. And as I remember three years ago with Kadri, basically everything he touched went in the net and the team right. had a on a shooting percentage. It was, you know, 15, 20%. And, there are people saying crazy things like, you know, Kadri, Kadri should be up for the Hart Trophy and, you know, this guy's going to be... I remember I wrote a piece like trying to downplay that and say, you know, based on what he's done this year, Kadri's probably only a 50 or 60 point player. And I got some of the nastiest hate mail I've ever had covering the Leafs. I've covered the Leafs, I think, seven years now. I got some of the nastiest responses for saying that Kadri's probably only a, a 50 or 60 point player. You know, in the in the... In the two and a half years since then. I mean, that's pretty much the way that it's played out. And then now we're, we're doing the opposite. And, and, and people are saying, oh, you know, why, why, why do you keep, keep praising Kadri? And it's because we're looking at more than, than, than just the results. And, 
it, 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 it's proven over the last few years that it's just foolhardy to look at, at, at just point totals for over a stretch of 10 or 20 games. It just, it's, it's, I know, I know uh, some people online have, the, have this term for it. It's, it's kind of like being a goldfish. And the goldfish, and you just kind of look at, there's something over there, there's something over here, there's something there, there's something there. Yeah. And, and it, it's like focusing on the trees instead of the forest. And it happens yeah. over and over and over and over again in hockey. And, you know, it makes, for me, it makes it hard sometimes to, to watch or to listen to some of the commentary out there that's on a wide platform. And then, you know, it, it, that kind of becomes what the the general fan knows about hockey and that come becomes the way that they think about it you know i think it's going to change eventually you know i think that the the conversations that we're having are they're starting to seep in you know i was listening to the radio uh, uh yesterday uh and bob mckenzie was on and uh he was talking about uh the colorado avalanche and how their season 2 years ago was a mirage because of you know the the puck luck they had and all those kinds of things i mean he was essentially talking about pdo without saying pdo and I think that there's, when you get really respected, intelligent voices like Bob McKenzie figuring stuff like this out and disseminating it to everybody, I think that's great. I mean, I think that's what the media should do is learn how, how the game works and, and, and by extension learn how the numbers work and then, and then educate people. I mean, that should be our job. And that, that's, that's part of what we're seeing. And it's, there's, there's, there's sort of been a divide now between the people that believe that Kadri's playing well and the people that don't. And it's really refreshing having Mike Babcock on, on the right side of it saying, you know, he's a pretty big, respected, powerful voice, and he's saying this guy's playing well. And, and guys like you and I agree with him because we look at some of this other stuff. Well, because it has to be more about the process of how you're getting there than about the result. And you only need to look at, you know, uh, I mean, you, you look at Matt Bolesky, you look at David Clarkson. Like, if you're, if you're just simply focusing on the end result and not looking at how you got there, like, I think you're missing the point. This is why they fired Randy Carlisle. They didn't like the process. They didn't see this, uh, see it being sustainable toward any kind of success. And I, and I agree with you. You have to kind of look deeper than just did he score or did he not score because – I mean, Leo Komarov has six goals. Do you really expect Leo Komarov to finish with more goals at the end of the year than Nazem Kadri? Has he been a better offensive player than Nazem Kadri because he has more goals? Of course not. Uh, so I agree with you. It, it's on us to think deeper uh, than maybe we have in the past. And I think that's all part of the changing tide within hockey and, and how hockey is looked at. Like, obviously, the analytics is a big part of that. Well, I mean, the the goal in the media should be to be accurate, and that's what that's why I kind of get exasperated sometimes when I get into these debates because, like, it's not about whether you like numbers or not. It's about trying to just be accurate and try and reflect what's actually happening. And the numbers aren't always right, but if you use some of these numbers, you're going to be right a hell of a lot more than if you just make stuff up and say, you know, if it's all hot takes saying Nazem Kadri's got to produce, and you know, it's. I don't know. I just it, it, it it's frustrating that that this 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 conversation's still going on like five or six years later and hope hopefully Kadri does have a, a breakout here over the last three quarters of the season and that'll quiet some of this. But I get the sense that, you know, some people just don't want to learn about it and they're just gonna say the same thing no matter what happens. Well, and that's fine. We can't really control how other people react to this stuff, but um let's touch let's look a little bit at the goaltending. Obviously, James Reimer has been on quite the roll, uh, highly unexpected. We haven't seen this from him, obviously, since the lockout year. And it's, it's so funny, like, when you go back to that, that that actually happened the way it did. He had the best season of his career 
in 2013, and just a few months later, they trade for Jonathan Bernier, and it's like the whole tides shift. Let me ask you this, James. Is there any scenario at all, and I don't think there is, but let me see what you think, where if this continued for the year, and there's no reason to think it will, uh, but is there any scenario that if it did, he would have any kind of a future beyond this year in Toronto? Is that at all possible in your mind? Yeah, I do think that that's possible for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, why not? I mean, why not? I mean, they don't have. I don't think the young guys have shown necessarily that they're ready to come up and play next year. You know, if you're talking about this continuing, I'm assuming you mean that that, that Bernie is going to struggle as well for the rest of the year, and they won't have they won't have a set option. The thing is, the thing is that I think Reimer is going to if he ha- plays this well all year. He's going to want some guarantees that he's going to have a chance to be a starter. So, you know, if his way is blocked here with Bernier, then maybe he 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 wants to go to free agency. I mean, if he has a big year, he's probably going to say, I'm, "I want to I want to go somewhere and be a number one." So that's going to be the thing: is that there's a chance he 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 would stay, but the Leafs would probably have to move Bernier out and say that say to Reimer that not necessarily that you're guaranteed to be the guy, but that it's not going to be the way that it was the last two seasons where you you didn't have any chance to be the guy. But would that, do you think, I guess what I'm trying to say is if he had a really good year, do you think it would change their thinking into maybe believing that he can be their guy moving forward? Like one thing that uh, I, I always think that is forgotten is these two are the same age. Like they're separated by five months. And yet when people look at Reimer, they don't really see him in the same light as they do Bernier. Uh, people talk about upside with Bernier and potential and everything like that. And then you look at the career numbers, and they're just about the same. Like, is there any world where you think the Leafs could be convinced that he is he could be their guy moving forward, or is that not possible? Knowing the way I think this front office is going to work, I don't think they're going to place a lot of value on paying a goalie a lot of money or giving them a lot of term. So right. if that's what Reimer's looking for, then no, he can't be a fit. If he's willing to take... A, a pretty reasonable contract. I'm thinking like three million or less, and not not huge term. And he wants to stay in Toronto. Then I can see it potentially being a fit. It's really going to depend how well he plays and how willing he is to 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 go on the open market. You know, it's goalies are such a weird in such a weird situation because there's so few jobs and there's so few teams looking for them every off season. I saw someone, I, I wish I knew who it was because I would give them credit. Someone on Twitter today had a stat and they said that uh, of all the goalies that were traded in the off season, and there were a lot, all the goalies that changed teams, the only one that's having a decent season is Martin Jones. So it's basically like musical chairs. These teams move around all these mediocre goalies and like right now none of them are having a, a very good year. That's kind of what it's like being a goaltender and it's 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 kind of it seems like kind of random where these guys end up. So that's that's a long-winded way of saying it's it's really tough to say what's going to happen. But I can see a situation where if they trade Bernier and they don't feel like the kids are ready yet, maybe they go another couple of years with Reimer because I mean he's very popular in the dressing room, and you can see that with the other players. I mean they're 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 kind of gushing about him right now. You know they're 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 glad that that he's regained that form that he had a couple of years ago. Well, he's obviously a very likable guy, and it's funny, as you were talking, uh, I'm at the practice facility, and he just walked by, <laughs> literally, as you were talking about him. But um, you know where I stand on this, and I think you're in the same boat. And, and to your point with some of the goaltenders moving teams and everything like that, I mean, we just saw with you know Colorado passing through town, 
they signed Varlamov to a long-term deal, and now you look at Barra, and he comes in and plays really well. And now, I don't know, there's questions in Colorado. Who's their number one? It just paying a goalie long-term to me doesn't make a lot of sense. But that brings me to Bernier, who's got you know one year left after this one at just over $4 million. What I've been wondering is, like, at what point should they know what they have in Jonathan Bernier? Like, to me, it's really hard to disseminate what he is right now because they were a really bad defensive team, obviously, for a couple years. We saw in his first half season with the team, he was really good. Yeah. Uh, since then, not quite to that level. Are, are, are they at the point where they should know what he is, or do you think they still need another, I don't know, 40, 50 games to I think it's this that. season. I think for both guys, it's this season. This is, I mean, Reimer we've seen a lot of, and it's it, it's kind of been all over the place. But, you know, I, I put a little bit of stock. Some of the goalie people, goalie people in quotation marks that I know, put a lot of stock in the work that, that Reimer did in the offseason with this stuff, this head trajectory stuff. I don't know if you've read about any of that. Yep. And it's, it's like the, the technique that, that he's adopted. Apparently, Reimer really, really likes it. I talked to him about it a little bit, and he said that he thinks it's going to help him in a big, big way, and he's still working on it, and he's still refining it. It really helped Devin Dubnik. It basically saved his career. You know, maybe there's something to that. And, and you know, the goalie people that I talked to said that the bigger goalies are probably going to have more success with it than the smaller guys. Uh, Reimer's obviously a, a much bigger guy than Jonathan Bernier. The thing that I was told is that, that Reimer really likes it, and Bernier is, seems to be kind of on the fence about it. And, uh, you know, maybe there's something to that. But, I mean, we've got to be careful with goalies, though, because so many – I mean, there are bad goalies that have great stretches of six weeks, and there are good goalies that have bad stretches. And you look at the goalies below Bernier right now in numbers, and, you know, it's uh, Bobrovsky and Varlamov. And, I mean, there's there's some pretty good goalies that have not had very good starts, and, and that can happen. So – Maybe he comes back and, and, and really outplays Rhyme over the next four or five months, and that changes this conversation entirely. I, uh, again, we're recording this on a Wednesday, and I talked to Joffrey Lupo yesterday. I talked to him again today. He's off to a pretty good start. Um, you know, he's got seven goals, ten points, been playing on a checking line. Uh, you and I have both, I think, written about it, talked about it, that it's helpful for the Leafs if some of these guys, whether it's Lupo, whether it's enough, uh, whether it's a bunch of those guys on short-term contracts like P.A. Parent, so if they play well, that maybe they can be moved. I still have a hard time thinking that there's going to be a team that would look at Joffrey Lupo, given the injury history, given the age, given the contract, and feel comfortable taking that on. Do you think there's any scenario out there where that could exist? Like if you're, an, if you're a team, let's say you're running a team, James Myrtle, is the general manager, would anything that happens this year with him convince you that maybe it's worth that risk? There were teams interested in him at previous trade deadlines. You know, he thought he thought he was going somewhere last year, and I couldn't nail it down 100%, but there was some suggestion out there that he was asked to think about expanding his no-trade clause to, to more teams. I mean, that, that was a rumor that I had heard that had some legitimacy to it, I think. So, you know, they were getting somewhere with it last year, I think that if he has, I mean, what's he got now? He's been scoring quite a few goals. If if there's, I mean, you kind of have to look for, and this, this is going to sound bad, you kind of have to look for a sucker team a little bit that just looks at his goal total and says, you know, we need that. We're, we're going for it in the playoffs. Maybe the Leafs have to eat a million, a million and a half in salary, and then they're able to get out of it. And you have to find a GM or a team that's desperate enough to add a goal scorer that, 
that doesn't think long term because there's three years on the deal, right, including this year. So right. they're going to have to say they're going to have to hold their nose and say we really want this guy for the playoffs. You know, he can be an asset for us that maybe can put us over the top. We'll worry about the other two years later, or we'll buy them out, or we'll eat some more of the salary and trade them somewhere else, or or whatever. And they'll, they'll they'll come up with something. So I do think that to to answer your question, I do think that there's a, a scenario where they can trade him and. You know, generally speaking, the best part about this 5-2-2 two, and two run is that, you know, Funos got a lot of points right now. Bozak has been putting up a lot of points. Parento looks very, very good on the power play and has been, been producing offense. You know, all of a sudden, those guys that didn't have, we, I think the last podcast we did, we were talking about, man, these guys haven't done anything. All of a sudden, some of those guys have produced a lot mm-hmm. of offense. And if there's teams out there that, 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 that aren't following the underlying numbers and put too much emphasis just on the points, these guys, their value is going up. I mean, Tyler Bozak right now is on pace for, he's basically scoring at like a 65-point pace. You know, uh, that that makes him easier to trade, definitely, than if he was on a 35-point pace, which what? was plausible without, yeah. without Phil Kessel. I could see him being tradable. I mean, couldn't you? Like, Artem yep. and Isimov got basically the same money, a little bit more. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I could see a team looking at Lupo, center depth, smart player, I don't know. You mean Bozak? Yeah. 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 But I get. But I guess the one that that I'm really curious about, and we were talking about this the other day, is Fanuf, and we got into an interesting conversation about, um, you know, if, if they were going to trade Dion Fanuf, how much salary would they have to take back? And then you brought up an interesting idea that maybe it would make more sense down the line for them to just buy him out. Um, well, you were saying something trade. like you'd have to retain two and a half million or something to be able to move him, and which would Wouldn't take his con- which would take his contract down to four and a half. I mean, I, I think you would definitely trade him if you ate that much of the contract, but I would be very wary of doing that. The thing too is, if you buy him out, I, can't, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but we were looking at it the other day. It was one point seven, I believe. Yeah, and if you wait another year, then it's one point six, and it keeps going down, and then it's like one point five after something like that. I mean, the more years that are gone, the lower the buyout is. So. Why would you retain all that money? I mean, maybe to to get the the cap hit off the. I mean, there, there's an argument to be had there about that, but you know, I think that if you're moving enough and retaining, I mean, you've already retained long term on Kessel. You got to be careful how much money you do. So, I think the better thing with enough to do would be to take back some bad money that expires in the next two or three years, and maybe you can buy out that bad money, or maybe you can do you know that that's the way to look at it, but. I'd be I'd be very very wary of of eating too much of that contract, especially when you have other options. Well, and especially when you're going to have to start paying some people. You know, Morgan yeah. Riley is up this summer. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you Alvin know, Kadri up again. Right, right, and uh, you know, it's not like they've Riley's going to get it probably a pretty. I, he's probably going to get five million a year. Is, is about what I'm guessing. I wonder if they go a bridge or they go long term with him, but. You know, and then you get Nylander and Marner could both be with his team next year. They could both produce three years after that. They need money. And then you're still dealing, you know, even that far down the road, even four years from now, you'd still have cap hits there from, from Kessel and Phaneuf. So you got to be careful that the mistakes of, of GM's past, it's kind of like the ghosts of Christmas past, the mistakes of GM past aren't, aren't, aren't haunting you down the road. Well, that's why it's so punishing when, when you know, teams make, bad financial decisions is it, it it stays with you it's not like it just disappears or goes away like it, it that's why it's so significant and that's why you know when you look back at you know brian burke dave nonis uh, whoever all the decisions that they made as far as contracts matter like it, I, you know what i'm talking about anyway 
Um, yeah, I think that the toughest job that Brendan Shanahan and company have is is fixing that. You know, what they're doing with the prospect pool is great. What they're doing with the Marlies is great. You know, what Babcock's done with the structure and the special teams and all that stuff is great. But at the end of the day, the way that you win in the NHL, one of the main ways you win in the NHL is be by, by being very efficient and ruthless with your cap dollars. And yeah. if, you've got, if you've got a bunch of them dedicated to, to crap left over from the last regime, that's a mess that you need to clean up as efficiently as possible and free up to, to spend on other things. Well, and if you screw up, it costs you players. Like right. I, I'm, I'm so curious to see what happens in Chicago with some of the, the changes that they've made and signing Seabrook long-term. And, like, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. We saw it, you know, a little bit in L.A. with the situation with Mike Richards, with, you know, eventually I think they'll come to that with Jonathan Quick. Like, teams make these decisions, it sometimes seems like, in a bubble without thinking bigger. And, and it, it comes back to haunt them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a finite pie. The Leafs are going to be a cap team, I think, probably forever. Yeah. So, you know, it matters that those dollars are, are missing. And, you know, I mean, what if maybe maybe this summer's not, not the year to, to make a bet like this, but Stamkos could potentially be available in free agency. Kopitar could potentially be available in free agency. You know, the Leafs want to have some leeway. And it's, so it's not just re-signing your guys. It's, you know, maybe you want to make a big-time big addition like that. And, and you don't want to be, you know, retaining all the salary on these guys that you don't have anymore. Well, right. And, and if you're paying two guys not to play for you, that's potentially one player that you can't sign. Anyway. Couple things quickly that I want to get to with you. Um, William Nealander, you know, last week said his goal is to play for the Leafs this season. How do like if you're them? How do you decide when that's right? If that's right, how would you make that determination? I wonder if they should just give him the nine games and not burn the year of the entry level contract. I mean, that's. Here's your reward for having a great season. Maybe you do it towards the end of the year when you start trading away some guys. But I would be very, very careful not to go over that number. So maybe you don't call him up until mid-March. But then again, I mean, Nylander, it, it makes sense to get him in with, with the Marlies for the playoff run, too. So I expect we'll see him a little bit in the NHL this year, and that'll be his reward, and that'll be his taste of of playing in the NHL with the Leafs for him to think about over the summer. That'll be his motivation. Um, and then hopefully, for the Leafs' sake, he comes back and works hard in the summer and, and, and is a big part of, of the Leafs' team next year. Yeah, I agree. I just don't know what benefit you get from burning a year for no. this season. I just no. don't see the value. I don't think they will. I, I'd be shocked if the only way that they would is if it's like a, a Lamorello decision that makes no sense or something. Like, I. Pridham and Dubas and and Babcock and Shanahan and you know the everybody in that organization understands the risk reward reward involved with with burning a year in the deal and I mean it's already been 20 games I think they decided at the beginning of the year not to not to play him in the NHL but you know I can see a situation where if he's just torching the league down there that you know maybe you do give him a little bit of reward a call up because I think that there's they're still on course the organization is still going to trade away a lot of these guys in February and March. They're still going to need some players in the lineup. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he does get the seven or eight or nine games or whatever. Okay, last point. You brought him up, and I wrote about him a little bit this week. Lula Morello, not a surprise to me, has kind of already put his stamp on the organization in terms of all the little changes, in terms of rules that he's made. Um, 
anything, I don't know if you read what I wrote, but like anything surprised you about that effect or, or Lamorello kind of steering things in, in the direction that, that Jersey was for many years? Like is any, any rule of his that's caught your eye that raised your eyebrows? Mm, for us trying to do our job, it's the injury stuff is 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 glaring. I mean, the I know other coaches have tried to to limit what we know about injuries. We don't know anything about injuries now, like nothing. I mean, they I, sometimes nothing. we get, sometimes we get lower body, upper body, but like we have no idea what's wrong with Jonathan Bernier. And the thing too is that what they've effectively done is Lamarillo's kind of put the fear of God in into everybody else. There's no leaks yeah. coming out. You know, there's no there's no assistant GM talking to his buddy in the media and, and, and it comes out a back channel. You, when you listen to, <clears throat> and this isn't a criticism of them, when you listen to Darren Drager or the other insiders talk about it, they're not saying, oh, well, you know, Jonathan Bernier's got uh, 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 an ankle injury that's, the, you know, a sprained ankle or whatever, and it's probably going to be a couple of weeks, but, you know, he's getting treatment on it, blah, blah, blah. There's nothing like that. Not that I've heard. I haven't said no. heard it. So that information is not available. It's 100% off limits. And I talked to Lamorello about it near the beginning of the season, about the the the, the cone of silence. And at some point, I, I still want to write about it. And he just said he thinks it helps it helps your team. You know, he said that there's there's no benefit for them to put that information out there, and there's a potentially a detriment. So if it helps your team in any little way, even if it's like point zero zero one percent, then that's what he's going to do. So, you know, and I. I honestly, I can't really argue with that. It it, it sucks for the media business because we want to know what's going on and we want to dissect it. And uh, but I think that's the way it's going to be. And it'll be interesting if a player, you know, is dealing with a concussion or I mean, there there's potential injuries that that you know you'd like to report on. And what happened with James Reimer when he had the concussion? They wouldn't talk about it. Is that a reporter went and started calling his family and eventually found out the information? And this is such a hot media market that. I could see that happening. I remember saying that to Lamarillo. I was like, I don't know if you can do the same thing that you did in New Jersey that here in Toronto. But so far, it's it's been working. Yeah, and it's funny when you talk to players. They they're like, it, it, it's very clear they've been told not to say anything. Yeah. Uh, like I was talking to Lupul today, and he didn't practice, and he was he was he almost like he had to catch himself. He was going to say what was going on. He just said he's a little banged up and he's not practicing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I just found like I asked. Lamorello about it the whole keeping injured players away from the team to me that's uh, like I didn't get that and he said you know they're not part of the team so they're not around the team uh the focus should be on the people that are playing that one didn't make sense to me all that much uh but I get what he's trying to do like he is trying to create all these little boundaries towards something bigger you know I think all the stuff that individuals are not being singled out anymore is is fascinating like there's nothing to do with any individual players throughout a game there's no pictures of current players on the walls he is trying to make it so everything is about the team and the team's success and you know i can't really blame him for that because i mean the team hasn't had success and individuals have been pumped up and i don't know uh, I, I, I i talked to yeah along those lines i talked to some some devils players because i was looking at doing doing something on on this at some point and like i said at some point i'm going to write about it but um but basically what the former players said who 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 played under Lou and with the Devils is that he wants everyone to be 100% equal. He wants everybody, he wants Byron Fraze to get, you know, the the kind of you know, he's as important to to what's happening as John Phaneuf or, you know, and or to the, feel as important, right? 
Right. The the quote that I love that I got from one player, he said that uh, if it was up to Lamorello, he would pay every player that, on the team the exact same amount of money. I mean, he sure. he kind of right. wants it. He kind of wants it to be like. Uh, like a, uh, uh, I don't know. It's like a like an army camp almost. You think about it. You know, there are, it is. That's exactly what it is. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that look was... at the, the haircuts, the groomings. Everybody's supposed to look the same. Everybody's supposed to be about the team. Like it's supposed to create. A it's like a prep school. It's like yeah, a prep school a, thing that, well, that Lamorello got from being a teacher. Yeah. And yeah. right, Providence College. That's exactly where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I mean, in, to his credit, Lamorello has been very accessible to us. So. Yep. I don't know. I mean, anyway, I can't blame him. Like I, I was talking about on this uh, about this on the radio the other day, and I brought up, you know, Brian Burke came in full of swagger, and we're going to change the culture, and et cetera, et cetera. And you know, one of his his first rules was no high numbers. That's gone. And so I remember, like Mikhail Grabowski had to change his number. He he couldn't be eighty four anymore. He had to be fifty four. And then a few days later, or however long it was, they traded for Phil Kessel, and Phil Kessel wore eighty one, and suddenly. The rule was gone. And, like, it, it doesn't mean a lot, but, like, all those little things, I think, mean something. Like, if you're trying to say you're talking about accountability and rules, and, I mean, if they're not rules, they're not rules. You know what I mean? And with Lamarillo, there's going to be no leeway. Like, they, he's not going to change a rule uh, because they get Steven Stamkos, so they, they get X player. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. All right. Well, I don't know uh, if any of that, that – crap matters <laughs> i don't either. i don't know I don't if that either. that helps the team win i don't know if not having beards is going to do anything for them but i don't know either I mean, it is a culture change the past few years it yeah you know the devils have not been good for almost 10 years it feels like but you know it's i don't know if that helps the team win but what you're saying about is what they say is what they mean and what they say is what they do and you know in some ways that's refreshing all right well i guess we'll leave it there and uh let's talk again next week Okay.